is a public service announcement reminding you to enjoy this season. Christmas is approaching and life's not slowing down at all. There are shopping lists to complete, work gatherings to attend, and too many conversations that begin, yes, they're family, we have to invite them. This time of year we fret. Will Amazon deliver that package in time? Will we make our connecting flight? Will someone bring up politics at Christmas dinner? There's no way to downplay the stresses that come during the holidays. But maybe the way to combat that best is to celebrate. Christmas means that a Savior was born. Christmas means that forgiveness is available, that we can start over, that joy can be made real in our lives. So drink that second cup of eggnog, wear that ugly Christmas sweater, laugh that Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Just enjoy, because all of creation is waiting on you to join in the celebration. Think about this. God loves you so much that he sent his son to earth to wipe your slate clean, to truly let go of the burdens of guilt, anxiety, and shame. Hear that again. Jesus came to earth to bring you real lasting joy. So come on, let's remember that. Enjoy Christmas. That's what it's for. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I behold and bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The lighting of a candle is a long-practiced tradition used as a reminder to slow down, reflect, and acknowledge the power of light over darkness. This Christmas season, we remember that the light of God's joy, made real in the person of Jesus Christ, shines brightly into a world of sadness, guilt, and loss. Jesus is joy. You know, that song reminds me of what we seek at this time of year at Christmas time is joy. And yet, at this time of year, joy is one of the most difficult things to find. In fact, I want you to listen as I read to you this 21st century ode to Christmas. <clears throat> Lord and Taylor and Taylor Ann Klein, Calvin Klein, Bugle Boy, Mr. Coffee, Sam Goody, Alan Solly, Polly Pro, Plastic Snow, Plastic Trees, Two IDs, All Cells Final, Simulated Wood Grain Vinyl. UPS, JVC, PC, CD, GE, GI Joe, IJ Fox, TJ Maxx, Fax, Pentax, Woofer, Tweeter, Quartz, Heater, Nintendo, Mario, Hasbro, Tyco, Izod, Turtlenecks, Polynex, Amex, Cortex, Memorex, Magnavox, Reebok, Ties, and Socks. 
Jayantu, Jimnate, Cache, Fabergé, automatic layaway. A waterproof, ovenproof, scotch, uh, shockproof, 90 proof, helter skelter, Alka Seltzer. Carphone, Brookstone, Analog, London Fog. Canadian Club, Scotch Tape, Irish Mist, English Leather, British Sterling. Sterling Silver, Lady Schick, Sure Stick, Nonstick, Water Pick. One Lux, Two Step, Three Speed, Four Slice, Saks Fifth Avenue, Six Pack, Seagram Seven, High Five, Nine Volt, Ten Speed, Twelve Cup, Thirteen Day, One Eight Hundred, White Balance, Infrared, Stanley Black or Black and Decker, Spelling Checker. Oh, what the heck? Let's deck the, ba- the halls with Hitachi, Mitsubishi. Uh, Sansui, Sony, Seiko, Sanyo, Panasonic, Ultrasonic, Instamatic, Automatic, Anti-Static, Alkaline, 9 to 9, Calvin Klein, and Klein, and Taylor, Lord, and Taylor, good Lord. What have we done with Christmas? You know, it's easy to lose sight of the meaning of Christmas with all the rushing around at this time of year. Uh, it's easy to lose sight of it when we feel pressure uh, because they're, they're gifts that we have to have to be bought. Uh, they're parties that need to be attended. Uh, there are uh, meals that have to be prepared. There are presents that need to be wrapped. And the joy we seek at this time of year just seems to, ev- to evaporate right in front of our grasp. You know, that word joy is an interesting word. It's a simple word. Just one syllable, three little letters. I mean, J-O-Y. And in fact, that's probably the word that reminds us of Christmas most, joy. I mean, do you remember what the angel said to the shepherds in the field? We bring you good tidings of great joy. But did you know the last thing anyone expected that first Christmas was joy? In fact, it began with an angel delivering a message, but this wasn't an ordinary angel. This angel was Gabriel. Uh, Last time he came to our planet was 500 years earlier to visit the prophet Daniel. This time he visits to deliver a message to a teenage girl. Now, we can tend to get caught up over the mystery of an angel's visit, but d- despite how enamored and captivated we might be, Luke and his gospel tells us that that first Christmas, Mary, she wasn't enchanted by an angel. In fact, it tells us specifically that she was greatly troubled and afraid. This is how Luke records it. He says, Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his, 
at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now, when the angel approaches Mary to tell her she'll give birth to a baby that will be called the Son of the Highest, Mary's heart didn't leap for joy. I mean, she had something far more mundane on her mind. The next verse records her question. How can this be, since I do not know a man? I mean, I think Connie Jones understands a little of what Mary is experiencing here in the text. She, she was a high school cheerleader in my high school growing up. She was one of the popular girls in high school. In fact, she dated the high school football quarterback. It was a match made in heaven until Connie became pregnant. She kept it hidden in first. None of us knew, but she couldn't keep it a secret very long. So Connie decided to go into hiding. She left school. She dropped out. We all eventually knew what had taken place. Rumors had flown back and forth. Next time I saw her was that summer, about nine months later in summer school, trying to get some credits finished. Well, when I saw her, she was embarrassed, looked the other direction. But she was no longer the perky, full-of-life teenager that I had known in high school. You see, that one act of passion has changed every hour of every day for the rest of her life. I mean, no wonder Mary in the text is so troubled here. In fact, uh, by today's standard, the shock of Mary's pregnancy has really lost its impact. But you need to know in this close-knit Jewish community, where everyone is everyone else's business, the words that Gabriel delivered to Mary would not have been welcomed. Mary had to know that her son uh, would, would end up growing up to be a mamzer. A mamzer. It was a Jewish term. It describes a child who doesn't have a father. Our English language has a word for mamzer. All languages do. And in all languages, that word is cruel. You see, Nazareth was a small town. It was about a thousand people in inhabitants there. It was located, uh, oh, about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. And it was known as a place of vice. I remember one of Jesus' disciples said, can any good thing come from Nazareth? It was a military camp town with all sorts of immorality and wickedness associated with that. Sadly, Mary's pregnancy there in town would have probably been attributed to her indiscretion with one of the Roman soldiers. So we discover in the text that after Mary 
it meets with the angel Gabriel and he leaves. She gets up immediately and she decides to travel south to visit with her cousin, her relative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth lives in the hill country of Judah. And it was about a four-day journey, about 80 miles over rough terrain. And she leaves town to go be with Elizabeth. The question you're asked in the text is, why? Why would she do that? Perhaps she felt the need to get out of this small town. Or maybe when Gabriel the angel told her that her her relative Elizabeth was expecting a child, she thought, well, at least Elizabeth would understand some of what I'm going through. Or maybe. Maybe Mary couldn't face telling her fiancé, I'm pregnant. You see, she was engaged to a local carpenter. His name was Joseph. Now, you need to know the idea of engagement in this day is much different from our our idea of engagement today. Engagement uh, took an entire year. And it was stronger than the engagements we have today. In fact, an engaged, a betrothed couple was considered husband and wife. In every way but one, they didn't live together for that entire year. In fact, so strong was the engagement, the connection between the two, that if a woman's fiancé died during the engagement period, she was known as a widow. And equally as strong is if she got pregnant during that engagement period, she would have been accused of immorality and subject to stoning. So imagine nine months. I mean, nine months of awkward explanations, the lingering scent of scandal. I mean, it seems God couldn't have put together more humiliating circumstances for his son's entrance into humanity. Now, it was Malcolm Mulgridge who put it this way. It is, in point of fact, extremely improbable under existing conditions in the in present day, that Jesus would have been permitted to be born at all. Mary's pregnancy in poor circumstances and with the father unknown would have made an obvious case for abortion. And her talk of having conceived as a result of the intervention of the Holy Spirit would have pointed to the need for psychiatric treatment and made her case for terminating the pregnancy even stronger. And then Mulgridge continues. Thus, our generation, needing a Savior more perhaps than any that has ever existed, would be too humane to allow one to be born. But Mary wasn't the only one who didn't expect joy that first Christmas. Her fiancé, Joseph, he was confused and suspicious. In fact, Matthew describes it quite well when he says, After Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. I remember what it was like in high school when my girlfriend broke up with me. 
And then I found out it was because she wanted to date somebody else. I mean, I was heartbroken. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I, I, I couldn't study. Every time I pictured those two together, it just made my heart ache. I, I mean, I was filled with, with confusion and jealousy and a desire for revenge all at the same time. In fact, I remember playing football and her new boyfriend was on the other team. I looked for every chance I could to clean his clock. It wasn't a very mature response at all, I admit. But I want you to imagine for a moment, instead of her being my girlfriend, imagine she was my fiancée. Instead of telling me she wants to break up, she tells me that she has a baby in her stomach. Wow. How do you think I would react to that? I'd be confused. I would be frustrated. That's exactly how Joseph is feeling here. And in fact, in the movie Nativity, it really captures the emotion of that moment so well without hardly saying a word. Watch the screen. Joseph's whole world collapses around him. Mary goes for a three-month visit with her relative Elizabeth, and when she comes back, she tells her fiancé that she has conceived, and the baby is the result of God's Spirit. Would you believe her? Imagine. Well, according to Jewish law, Joseph really has only two options available to him, none of which is marriage. He could accuse her of adultery, and then she could be stoned to death. Her death would release him from the marriage vows and free him to marry another. Or the second option, he could choose to divorce her. 
In fact, Luke tells us that Joseph, being a just man, didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace, decides to divorce her quietly. Now, the mercy and tenderness you see here that Joseph extends to this woman who's broken his heart and shattered his dreams is absolutely remarkable. And it really echoes the grace and tenderness God shows to us and causes us to reflect, how do I respond to people who have wronged me? However, that night, uh, Matthew tells us that an angel appears to Joseph in a dream, telling him that the baby in Mary's womb was indeed the result of the Holy Spirit. In other words, what was planned in eternity past is going to be fulfilled in the life of his fiancée. Notice how Matthew records it. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which was conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. I think it's helpful to to recognize that the angel's words were, in fact, very, I'd say extremely emphatic. And a more accurate translation of that verse would be, He and no other will save his people from their sins. Now, can you imagine the mockery? Joseph must have felt going against the traditions of the elders, being ostracized by family and friend and friends. I mean, being embarrassed marrying a woman carrying somebody else's baby. And can you imagine also the humiliation that Mary must have felt in the text? I mean, knowing that behind every condemning glance and every obscure whisper was an indictment of her character. And not only that, but the fact that just before Mary gives birth, the Roman government forces she and Joseph to take a journey to Joseph's hometown. It was going to be a five-day journey, almost 80 miles across dirt road on the back of a donkey, facing all sorts of dangers, only to get to Bethlehem and not find a place to stay. So they are forced to stay with the livestock. And that night of all nights, Mary goes into labor. I'm telling you, no one expected joy this Christmas. In fact, when you look at the birth of Jesus, it seems that all is not calm, all is not bright. I mean, the the baby doesn't sleep in heavenly peace. Uh, joy would have been the last thing anyone would have expected. And yet, joy is exactly what you find throughout the text. Joy, the kind of joy that God gives, is always compatible with discomfort and pain. I mean, the joy that the shepherds, uh, the angel talked to the shepherds about is a joy that comes in spite of something. The kind of joy the Bible talks about is radically different from what you and I think of when we think of joy. We use the words happiness and joy interchangeably, but they are not the same. 
I mean, happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is based upon happenings. I mean, I, I make a killing on a stock tip. I'm happy. Now, I find a great deal on a 60-inch flat screen. I'm happy. My, my friend compliments me. I'm happy. You see, when circumstances are right, there's happiness. But when the source of what makes you happy departs, happiness always goes with it. But joy is different. The joy the Bible talks about defies circumstances. Joy occurs in spite of difficulties. Where you could say happiness is a feeling, you would say joy is more of a choice. A choice. But don't get me wrong, choosing to joy doesn't mean to slap on an artificial smile and act happy in the presence of circumstances that just aren't that happy. Rather, choosing joy is a matter of perspective. You could say it's a lot like sailing. First vacation, Patty and I spent together. We went northern Wisconsin to a little cabin she grew up on, on Lake Nebagaman. And uh, that summer, Patty taught me how to sail. I'd always been intrigued by how a sailboat could go into the wind and be propelled forward by the wind. It never made sense to me. I was baffled by that. Well, that summer, Patty told me that when a sailboat goes into the wind, it's called a closed hull. Everything is pulled in tight. And it's propelled forward by the interaction between the angle of the sail, the direction of the wind coming toward the boat, and the resistance provided by the keel underwater. All three ingredients come together to create a path of least resistance that naturally draws the sailboat forward in the lake. In other words, without the proper setting of a sail, a sailboat's not going to go anywhere. In fact, I love the way one poet puts it. He says this, one ship sails east, one ship sails west, regardless of how the wind blows. It's the set of the sail and not the gale that determines the way it goes. Now, Mary, in our story, is facing insurmountable circumstances that are extremely difficult and overwhelming. And yet you discover that when she travels to visit with her relative Elizabeth, the first words she utters are expressions of joy. Notice what Luke says. My soul magnifies, Mary is saying this, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Is that how you would have responded? I doubt I would have. I mean, when I saw Mary, I would have looked for somebody to complain to. This is uncomfortable. The trip was horrible. What are my next nine months going to be like? I mean, joy would have just flown out the window. It would have disappeared. And yet you read in the Scripture time and time again about men and women who face insurmountable difficulties but experience joy. Did you notice the first thing Mary does is she reminds herself of God's character. She says, for he is mighty. 
and holy is His name. And secondly, she seems to intrinsically be aware that God will be with her through this whole process. I mean, literally, He will be in her. He's carrying God. She's carrying God in her womb. Did you know God promises us the same thing? To be inside of us? He promises that He would come and take up residence inside of every follower of God's Son, Jesus. So that means he's never further than your breath. And then, and then thirdly, because, thirdly, because God is mighty and holy, Mary seems to know that he can count on him in whatever circumstances she finds herself in. I mean, I'd say Mary knew how to set her sails for joy. But the question I have is, how do we do that? Well... Joy comes, I think, as we look at life from God's perspective. You see, joy is not something you focus on getting. It's something you get as you focus on something else. And you can choose to focus on yourself, and you'll come face to face with your own inadequacies. I mean, there's no joy in that. We're all filled with weaknesses. But joy, it's a lot like growing fruit. In fact, before I tore my quad tendon twice, I, um, I used to be a runner. I enjoyed running. The thing I loved about running is it, it took little effort, little preparation, and you could do it almost anywhere. And the route I would run would take me right by a pear tree. All winter as I ran, the pear tree was dormant. And then as spring approached, I would notice little buds on the ends of the leaves. And as it grew, those buds turned into blooms until the tree was in full bloom. Then you had to be careful running by the pear tree because the bees were attracted to it. You'd get stung. And then as time progressed, the blooms fell off and little bitty leaves began to grow. And they grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you look carefully, you could see the smallest of fruit beginning to grow. And throughout the summer, it would grow and grow, and it would mature until at the end of the summer, it was ripe. You see, joy is a lot like growing fruit. Now, fruit is always the product of something else. And now, for a pear tree, that fruit is the product of something else that's going on. It's a product of the right nutrition. The, the right water, and the right sunlight. You see, for a pear tree, when those three ingredients are come together, a pear tree can't help itself. It just naturally produces fruit. In all the years I've run by that pear tree, I never once heard it strain, trying to push produce fruit. If you have the right ingredients, focus on that, the pear tree just naturally produces fruit. And that's what joy is like in our lives. Joy comes as we focus on the right things. And that's exactly what Mary did. I mean, back in the passage, you discover Mary understood God had a plan, that He was near, I mean, living inside of her, that He was mighty in our circumstances. And I find that when we focus on being grateful for all God has done for us, when I focus on the goodness of God, I begin to just naturally see my perspective begin to change. I mean, focusing on God as a giver 
of all good gifts is one of the keys that unlocks this door to joy. You see, when we're mindful of God and what He has done, it hardly leaves room in our hearts for fear and anxiety to be present, let alone grow. You know, um, I've got a back page of my journal that I've just dedicated to recording things that I see God do. It's on the back page so I can turn to it quickly. You know, I put things that I've seen God do in my life down here that are remarkable. Things that I've seen do in my family's life and the way He's provided for us. The things I've seen Him do that I can't attribute to anything else other than that had to be God. And when I find joy hard to come by, I'll take out my journal and I'll just begin reading through these things. You know, every time I do, it reminds me of God's grace. It reminds me that His intentions towards me are so good. And as a result, it just naturally strengthens my faith my faith, and just automatically begins to increase my joy. I mean, how about you? Do you ever pause long enough to just reflect on the things God has done through you, maybe in you and through you and for you? Did you know that's exactly what Mary did? In fact, a closer look at the text tells us that she pondered these things in her heart. That she sang about them. She reflected on them. That she expressed them in gratitude toward God. What would it be like this Christmas season if you just took 15 minutes one day, 15 minutes every day to sit down, nothing else going on, quietly, and think about the things God has done for you this year. And with each one, you just write it down. And as you do, you thank Him for it. I, mean, I wonder how that would impact your joy. In other words, I mean, joy is not something, not so much determined by what happens to me as it is by what God is doing in and through me. In other words, what I'm saying is that joy comes as we cultivate confidence in God. In fact, the Incarnation... Jesus coming to coming to this earth as a baby should answer the question once and for all, what is God's intentions toward me? I've been told if you want to really understand God's intentions, you, you have to maintain a saltwater aquarium. Because it's not an easy task. It's quite difficult. I mean, you've got to keep a balance of the nitrate levels and the ammonia content and follow uh, those levels. You, you have got to um, pump it full of vitamins and also antibiotics and then enough enzymes that could grow a rock almost. And then, then I'm told you've got to take the water and filter it through uh, these fiberglass filters and another charcoal filter, then expose all of it to ultraviolet light. Now, you'd think going to all that trouble, there'd be some kind of gratitude shown you by the fish. Not so. No, no. Every time you approach the aquarium, your shadow casts over it, they run and hide. It's just what saltwater fish do. 
I mean, you're the only emotion that a fish really has is the emotion of fear. And it really doesn't matter that you feed them three times a day. Every time you approach, they interpret your presence as wanting to be destructive. You see, to the fish, you're kind of like a deity. You're too large to comprehend. Your actions are too incomprehensible. Your best acts of mercy are interpreted as cruelty, and your best attempts at providing them healing are seen in their minds as destructive. So to change their perceptions, it's going to take a form of incarnation. You're going to have to become a fish. So you can communicate to them in their language. Now, that's exactly what took place this Christmas morning. God, who created matter, ended up taking shape within it. Like an artist becoming a dot on the canvas or a a, a playwright becoming a character in his own play. You see, it's like God has written this play, only his, he uses real characters in real history so that he could become one of us. In other words, God entered our aquarium. Not to punish us, not to discipline us, to make sure we're obedient, but to win us to himself so that we might experience his joy in us. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus communicated to his disciples the night he was betrayed. The text says, Jesus said this to his disciples, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be made full. See, the kind of joy the Bible promises, that Jesus promises there, is not a joy based upon really what we do, but what God has done and is given to every Christ follower. Every Christ follower, as we remind ourselves that God's intentions toward me are good. And really, it's the only kind of joy that would transcend the circumstances Mary and Joseph were facing that Christmas and turn really an exhausting, grueling circumstance into a glorious event. Wouldn't you want joy in you this Christmas rather than just beyond your grasp? God promises His joy can be in us if you'll invite His Son into your life. By simply saying, I trust you, Jesus, as my Savior. Come in and let me experience the joy you have for me to experience. And you will begin experiencing God's joy in you and through you at the same time. Father, thank you. For the story of this very poor couple who put themselves in a position with you in order to allow the Savior of the world to come and engage not just our lives but our hearts for over, golly, 2,000 years as we look forward to your return one day, but as we also celebrate this Christmas season. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to remind you that tickets are available for our Christmas Eve services.
You will need a ticket this year in order to attend. So take what you need, and if you have some that you don't use, please bring them back so we can get them to other people. So out in the atrium and to the left.